Hello and welcome to Quality Blether, the new podcast from the Scottish Testing Group, where you don't have to be Scottish or a tester to have a quality conversation about quality. In the following episodes, I'm going to be having conversations with some of the many and varied thinkers and doers within the IT industry. Our conversations will be as wide-reaching, varied and intellectually stimulating as the guests themselves. There will be differences of opinion and alternative points of view which we will explore in an amicable and curious manner, but always remaining friends. This is a safe environment in which any aspect of software quality is fair game for discussion. My guests will include QA directors, award-winning testers, authors, renowned quality gurus, researchers into the new technologies, agilists, futurists, thinkers, doers, old hands, and rising new stars. I'm your host, Brian Jones, and our guest this week is Janet Gregory, agile testing coach, co-author of three books on testing, and her latest book, QPAM, Quality Process Assessment Model. She's also the co-creator of the Holistic Testing Approach. The Scottish Testing Group were lucky enough to have Janet take part in our summer conference. So our own Somia Ramesh sat down with Janet to blether about life, the universe and quality. So let's go over to Somia and Janet now. everybody we are in conversation with janet gregory who is a leading uh, name in the world of testing uh, a pioneer in agile testing specifically but uh, she's been an author a coach uh, a speaker and really a great exemplary guru in testing in the world of testing and it's really a pleasure and a privilege to be able to speak to her ahead of a conversation, a session that she's going to hold for Scottish Testing Group in June. On the 22nd of June, Janet is going to be in Edinburgh speaking about her latest book, as well as uh, sharing some of her insights from quality assurance and testing. And uh, thank you very much, Janet, for taking time to speak to us. And it's such an honor to be able to have this chat with you. Um, uh, please, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about your journey into the world of QA and testing? Sure, and thank you for that really nice introduction. I'm really looking forward to coming to Scotland. It's been a lot of years since I've been there. So I started off as a programmer. I went to university as a, let's call it a mature student. Uh, so I took programming, but I knew I didn't want to do that for my entire life. But I was one of those really lucky people that my very first job, my supervisor, when I first started, came in every morning, he'd sit beside me and say, Janet, what are you going to work on today? And I would tell him and he would say, so how are you going to test that? And at the end of the day, he'd come back and he'd say, so Janet, what did you get done today? How did you test that? So I got really used to 
testing my own code and, and really thinking about it. So later on in my career, when I was at a, a company, um, a different company, about six years later, I guess, the manager came up to me one day and he said, so Janet, we really need a test team. And you are the person that complains the most about our lack of quality and how to improve the process. And I said, yeah, because I did a lot of complaining about that. Anyhow, he said, how would you like to lead the test team? How would you like to be our QA manager? So I thought about it and I went, okay, sounds good. But I immediately ran out and read everything I possibly could. I took my quality manager certification from American Society for Quality, ASQ, um, and learned everything I possibly could. And so that started me on my journey. But that was that particular company was not a good place um, to practice what I had learned. So I did leave it after a few years because it, it didn't go. But that's how I got started. Really interesting. Thank you, Janet. Um, and uh, really, you have been a pioneer and a highly successful author in the world of agile testing. What's been your source or sources of inspiration behind them? Uh, hard to say inspiration. I learned a lot about agile by reading early, in the early days. Um, and I think one of my biggest inspirations when I first started was after I left that company, I was just talking about, I went into another company as a QA manager and they really wanted to start learning XP, but neither the development manager or I had any experience. So we did a lot of reading together and a lot of experimentation. It wasn't until I was actually on a team who knew what they were doing as a tester that I really understood the benefits of, of being on that team. Uh, and that's when I was, uh, I reached out to the community and said, um, and the only person that I knew was talking about testing at that point in time was Brian Merrick. And he pointed me to Lisa Crispin because Lisa Crispin's very first book, Testing in XB. So I emailed her and I said, help, right? I need to know more. And so I had the privilege of actually reviewing that very first book, trying a lot of the things that she was talking about. And that's how we got to know each other. But how I, I learned was the hard way, trial and error. When we decided to, well, first of all, I guess Lisa and I started speaking together, um, sharing it at conferences, which was a, a whole other story, me speaking. Um, but what we wanted to do was to share what we had learned the hard way so people didn't have to relearn those lessons um, because just, just read it, uh, listen to us. And then we wrote the first book and, and that's really what inspired us to do it was to share our knowledge so that other people wouldn't have to. Like the first conference we went to, the first conference, the first agile conference I went to, there were three people who identified as testers, myself, Lisa, and Brian Merrick. And over and over again, you don't need testers on teams. So we were we were fighting that lesson from a long time ago. Fantastic. Uh, that your journey in itself is so inspirational. Uh, and it <laughs> nicely segues into my next question. 
how did the idea of Agile Testing Fellowship come about? And please, can you share a snippet of how it started and its evolution? Certainly. So after that first book was written, and that was back in 2009, Agile Testing, a company approached me and said, a fairly large company, approached me and said, uh, we would, we really like the book. We would like you to give us a course on this. And I said, I'm not a teacher. I don't have a course. And they said, well, we will help you. So their education department um, helped me work through and try to get that course. And then I proceeded to give them several courses and we, we made it better and better. And, and then I started giving it to other people across the world. I did a ton of traveling, um, which was really nice and fun, but they got to a point where I was traveling so much that I was starting to burn out. And there was just so much demand for that course that I said, we have to do something. And of course, Lisa was working full-time, so she couldn't be teaching it all the time. So that's when we were trying to figure it out. And Thankfully, Jose, he's the, the man behind Agile Testing Days Conference, sat down with us and he said, so Janet and Lisa, here's an idea. This is maybe how you could go forward. So we went forward with the Agile Testing Fellowship. Um, and we started with a, a few instructors, people that we knew shared our enthusiasm and, and we knew um, would do a good job teaching. And that's how we started. And then it just kept growing and growing. And, and now we have, I don't know, uh, I don't even know, probably 30 people who could instruct the course worldwide. That's how it started. Really, you're so multifaceted, uh, Janet. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> makes me wonder what gives you the most satisfaction? Is it authoring, speaking, providing training, consultancy? And why do you find it most satisfying? Writing is not my forte. Um, when, In fact, when Lisa first asked me <clears throat> to help write that first book, Agile Testing, I said no, probably about five times. And she just kept, oh, she was very enthusiastic about it. Anyhow, I finally said yes, but I said, writing is not something that I do well. I don't know how to write. So she said, sure you do. And so, I kind of kind of just wrapped myself up and said, okay, I can do this. So I write now. I, I actually write a lot. Um, I still don't necessarily enjoy it. The words come out and they're they're hard to put down on paper. Uh, I really liked the training, especially not when I first started because I found it very stressful. But when I got into the groove and really started doing it, I liked the training. But my favorite part is really the consulting, going in and working with teams um, and helping them see better ways to do things or ways to do things differently. That's really what um, I like best. When, when you see a team or, or individual people grab onto that idea and they just blossom, that is so satisfactory. And that's really what touches me. That's wonderful to know. Um, thank you, Janet. Um, I know you mentioned uh, writing wasn't necessarily your most favorite <laughs> thing, but is there something that's memorable uh, aspect of a certain book that you've authored? Is that uh, something that you're able to share just now? Yeah. So 
I have um, two that that come to mind immediately. The first one is kind of a negative aspect. Uh, when Lisa and I were doing our, Lisa and I write everything remotely and collaborate re remotely because we live in different places. And on our first book, we had pretty much finished it all up and we ended up, we were at a conference together in Vancouver and we said, okay, let's take a day and sit down and, and really talk about the book and where it is and what it is. We found out that when we were together, we didn't know how to collaborate. We didn't know what to do. And so we went back and we finished off the book remotely. And, and so that was a, a lesson learned. The second book, um, a friend of ours who had written a book told us of this process that they did and found really rewarding. So we tried it. And so after we had written all the chapters and, and had a, kind of a, a quick review done by some people, we printed out the whole book. And I flew down to Denver. That's where Lisa was living at the time. We put the book up on walls. So each chapter was on a wall, like, you know, from top to bottom. And, and we went around a whole room, had it all out. And then we cut and taped. Um, the stories that we were inserted, we had them all printed. And we said, this story belongs with this. You know what? This piece over here in this chapter really doesn't belong here. It belongs over there. So it was a very physical way to collaborate. And it made the book so much better and gave us a really good overview of the big picture. And, and the outcome of the book just was so much better. Having that visibility and being able to tangibly touch was really, really powerful. So amazing. Very, two very different ways of collaboration. And uh, yet <laughs> it seemed to bring the best results. That was absolutely fascinating to hear. Um, and Janet, going on to the next question, what according to you is the best thing about being a, a QA, a test professional? And what would you advise if someone was looking to make a decision about choosing this Ooh. as a career path? This is a really difficult question. And I'm not sure what the best thing is, but I do know that testing is part of me, of who I am. It's part of my makeup. I test everything. My husband it drives me crazy. Um, but um, it's, so when I test everything, um, it, what it does mean is that if I see something that could be improved, I try to figure out how to do that. For example, which is what drives my husband crazy, is we were on a, a river cruise and the kitchen was trying something different and they had this buffet. Well, the first night I just looked at the salad bar and I went, well, this is dumb. And, but I watched. And the second night I, I watched even more. And the third day I went up to the, the, the head of the kitchen person and I said, I have a process improvement I would like to suggest. And I told them why and what the benefits would be. And then next day they tried it and it stayed that way the whole time. And, and so many people were saying, well, it's about time they did that, but they never said anything, right? So I think being a tester, that's part of what you do. It, it sometimes makes me feel good. Sometimes eh, not so much. If I had advice, that was the second part of your question. Um, 
Testing is a challenge. It's ever-changing as technology changes. Um, it's ever-evolving. So for anyone starting out, I would say be sure that you're curious and have a thirst for knowledge, um, want to learn. Um, and if so, you'll never be disappointed. And I'm going to put a caveat on that. If you get into a company that doesn't encourage that learning, doesn't give you the room to grow, leave before you change. Because that curiosity, that thirst for knowledge is a great tester. Fantastic advice. And uh, I really appreciate what you're saying here in the testing mindset being very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned it changed, and that my next question is actually about that. The world of testing has changed significantly over time. It's more holistic, engineering focused in most the entire team. What are your thoughts on this changing paradigm? Well, I think it's a good thing because no one person, um, a tester, for example, on a team can think of everything, right? Not even in the olden days, could we do that? And it was a uh, a farce to think we could. It, it just didn't work. I think that more diversity enables people to think of better questions, to think of more risks, to make them visible so that they can be mitigated. Now, of course, if the team, and there are teams like this that aren't willing to be questioned, you know, if a person says, I know this, don't tell me, don't ask me, right? That whole thing falls apart. It's important that that team supports that learning, supports that. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of organizations that just don't have that culture or teams that don't. But I think it's a good thing. Very well said. Uh, thanks, Janet, and uh, very thought-provoking. Um, and my next question is that testers who come from manual testing background might find themselves a bit lost in the current day environment of DevOps and engineering. What is your advice to them? Um, don't be afraid. Don't start with writing code because that's something that I see a lot of teams and organizations say, our testers now need to write code. Don't start with that. Start smaller. Start learning about coding syntax. Um, and this is something that every tester should do. Learn to be able to read the code that your developers are writing because that enables you to talk to those programmers, to ask them questions. In my experience, when testers do that, show interest and are really trying to learn, programmers will respond. They will respect those testers a lot better. And because they know that you're trying to be a better tester. And I've seen that more than once, more than twice, it happens, right? So, um, or the other thing is you can take our newest course, which is, you know, um, holistic testing for continuous delivery, which introduces the whole idea of um, what that means to testing activities. But in the, in the you know, short term, just learn about code. You know. Great inputs. Thank you very much, Janet. 
my next question is, what would you tell your younger self? Or maybe put it differently, is there anything you have done differently when you look back at your gym? A few years ago, I did a keynote for Agile Testing Days. Uh, it's called Pivotal Moments. And the video still might be available on YouTube. I don't know. But I explored things in my life and how they impacted me. Um, so I've actually thought about this over the years. Uh, I'm not sure if I would have done anything different. But I would hope that I would afraid to try new things a question i i ask myself even now when when i'm trying something new or or something is what's the worst that can happen you know if if it's writing a new book um what would failure look like maybe nobody reads the book maybe nobody buys the book is that really so bad because i learned lots writing the book it's always a, a really good thing so what's the worst thing that can happen? I don't know. So I would tell my younger self, don't be so afraid. Don't make Lisa ask you five times. Jump in on the first time, right? Brilliant. Uh, love it, uh, Janet. Thank you very much. Um, has there been anyone who's a bit of a role model that you followed in testing or technology or anyone who you deeply admire? In, in their work, uh, would you like to share anything about them? Um, there's been a few people. I'm, I'm going to say um, right off the bat that Elizabeth Hendrickson, well, and Lisa Christman, from a testing perspective, but one of role models from a technology perspective and a people person has been Mary Poppendick. I met her at my very first um, Agile conference back in 2002, long time ago scary. She's a little bit older than I am. This is what I thought to myself. I can almost hear my, my thoughts at the point. She speaks like at conferences. She's intelligent. She's old because I was always that mature student. Remember, I was older than anybody else. She's a woman. She travels. She takes her husband with her. Why can't I do that? Right? So she inspired me to, to be all that I, I can be. And it's um, she also wrote books. And she's written quite a few of them. But I find people like her so inspiring. Um, and I hope that a lot of the, the young people coming up see her and, and just go, yeah, I can do that. Because it, it just starts small, right? and grows. That's fantastic to hear. Thank you so much, Jan, for sharing that. Um, we should perhaps now talk about your latest book, um, <laughs> which is around the QPAM model. Please, would you like to um, share what the model is about a bit of an overview, please? Okay. So QPAM is Quality Practices Assessment Model. So we have 10 uh, quality aspects that we assess on. And each of those aspects has several uh, practices. Um, for example, um, feedback loop, which is our highest priority things, which is about communication. We look at the feedback cycles within the team, um, between customers, stakeholders in the team, the delivery team, and between leadership and the delivery team. So those would be different kind of practices we look at. 
for each of those quality aspects, um, we, we also have four um, behavioral dimensions. So it's, are you in uh, the beginning dimension, which is, you know, just starting out, trying to figure out where we are. Some teams might be in pure chaos, which, you know, is quite normal. And then the uh, second one is um, unifying, which is we're starting to do agile. We're starting to do some of the practices, uh, but we really don't know where we're doing. Um, the third one is practicing, meaning these are, we're doing the practices, we're doing them pretty well, right? And the fourth one is innovating, which is those are the teams that are really stretching and, and um, you know, they know their market, their, their quality is strong, um, they're willing to try new things, right? So those are the four uh, dimensions. Uh, and I've worked in teams that really have different teams are in different dimensions. So the assessment itself kind of looks at these quality aspects and kind of says, all right, where do you fall in these different dimensions? Fantastic. Thank you very much, Janet. Uh, how did you come about uh, this idea? How did this happen? Well, I've done a lot of quality um, assessments over the years uh, as part of my consulting, but I did it informally. I'd go into a company and I would kind of talk with their people. I would watch them. I'd observe. And then I'd come up with my observations and tell them what I thought. And it was really quite informal. But I was asked to do an assessment for a company remotely, just kind of a tail end of COVID. Nobody was going into the office. And I went, sure, I can do this. But when I started to think about it, I realized that I could not do the same thing that I had always done. I had to change it. Working remotely is quite a bit different than doing it in person. Somebody pointed me to Alan Page's Agile Culture Transition Guide. It's, it's a, a spreadsheet. I thought it was quite fabulous, but it wasn't quite enough structure for what I needed. And I didn't necessarily agree with everything that he had done, which is normal. I needed to, something with a little bit more to help me align my thoughts um, on this, this assessment. So I asked Selena Delisi, my co-author, to help me. Um, and I've done some workshops with her before. And, and so I knew we were quite aligned on that part. So once we had the structure, I was able to go and, and deliver this assessment remotely. And it worked fabulously. So that's when we decided to write the book. <laughs> that's, that's really amazing to know. Uh, thanks, Janet. Um, how is it different from more traditional maturity assessments? All right, so the message we are trying to deliver is that, although not everybody hears it, is it is not a maturity model. We don't want people to think they have to move up through these different dimensions. If they want to improve in some areas, it can give them a bit of guidance on, on what they might want to improve, right? So. In the model, the highest priority quality aspects, we think, are about the communication, the feedback loops, um, the culture of the organization and the, the team, and learning and improvement. So those aren't 
hard skills, right? They're, but those aspects are essential to having good practices. And the, the rest of the practices are things like your development approach, your testing breadth, those sorts of things, right? You need that solid base to, to actually um, improve in any of the other things. So if your organization doesn't have some of those things, like good psychological safety, your team probably can never, ever get to innovating, no matter how hard you try. So being a maturity model says that you must move up and everybody aspires to that. But that's not true. Some teams are just going to be staying at the unifying for quite a long time until they fix some of the cultural issues, right, to get into the practicing if they choose to be there. Some teams will stay in practicing. They never want to be that innovating team. They're delivering their software. They're doing it regularly. They're doing a good job, right? So it's a it's more of a of a model to to see where you are and and where you could improve, and then your choice is what you want to improve. That's really great to know, and uh, I'm sure this is a very helpful practical tool for a number of teams. Uh, my next question is, how can you deliver it to clients uh, as a service as well? Is that a possibility with this model? Oh, absolutely. And and we're hoping people use this, the book. And Celine and I right now are writing a second book to kind of pair with the first one on facilitating how to actually give the assessment. Um, but there's several techniques that we use. So for example, one of the the things I've done and have proven it in person. I've done workshops with this in person, but also done it remotely. So all of these things can be done either way, um, is running a process retrospective. You can get a lot of information about a team and how they deliver by looking at the process, not, not necessarily the product and very specific things, but the process. Also, I find that interviews, group interviews, individual interviews, not with everybody on the team, but just here and there to, to supplement knowledge. As well, I, um, and one of the things that I believe is absolutely necessary is observing some of the meetings, the workshops, how do the people actually work? How do they communicate? How do they um, get information across, right? Once I have enough information, then I, I will take and I'll write up my findings, uh, observations. Um, if it's part of the expectations of the client, I will add recommendations, right? If you're um, an internal consultant, not external, right? You're part of the company. Um, maybe you don't write up recommendations. Maybe you just say, these are my observations, my findings. Um, if you're doing it internally as a team, it's a little harder to be objective, but it would be different again. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Janet. Uh, I know you've kind of touched upon this aspect already in your answers, mm -hmm. but if you had to list out the benefits of using this model, uh, what would they be, please? I think the benefits is that the facilitators, whether they're external, uh, somebody like me, um, they can use the model objectively. Internal one, Internal facilitators can also use it objectively. They can 
uh, assess a team's practices. Part of the model is a series of questions that we ask. So for example, so if we're looking at uh, the development aspect of it, right? So I would be looking to say, you know, who decides how much to take into an iteration? Uh, does the team decide or is it pushed on them? So those are questions that would help the facilitator to really think about what am I trying to, what information am I trying to get? And so it provides that, um, th that extra to help a facilitator be objective. And I think those questions also help a facilitator to get to the truths. Sometimes when you're assessing a team and you're just talking to them, they will team people will say one thing, but when you start observing and watch based on these questions, you really just start to see something different. And and so you'll have, okay, they're saying this in the process retrospective, but I see this happening. And that's when I will go do um, an extra interview with somebody or two to find out what is really going on. So it's those discrepancies that really trigger the truth to come out. So I think it's beneficial. Everybody I've done the assessment for has been um, happy, right? So how do you measure success in this model? Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure what that means, but I think success to me um, would be a team that looks at the assessment results and can find out where they stand, right? That in, and, and no team, yeah, I, I'm gonna say no team that I've ever worked in or assessed is in one dimension completely. Some of their practices will be more stronger, some will be less, right? And that's okay, that's okay. But if a team can look at those, the, the findings and, and um, know where they stand, from there, can they see what could be achieved? Can they get ideas? Um, on how to get there, like one small step at a time, not great big chunks, but to say, you know what, we are low in, in this practice. We're really not sharing the information we bring back from conferences. How can we be better at that, right? Um, and that to me is success. Thank you so much, Janet. It's been really fantastic and uh, enlightening as well. So thanks very much for sharing all of those thoughts and inputs and insights from your own journey. And uh, just to kind of remind everybody, Scottish Testing Group is running an event on 22nd of June in Edinburgh, Scotland, with the theme of charting your quality journey. And Janet will be there to share snippets from her latest book, as well as talking about holistic testing. It's an unmissable event, and I really hope you'll join us there. Thank you very much, Janet, for your time again. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Thank you. And I look forward to it, too.
So thank you to Somia and Janet, and thank you for listening. Check out the show notes for links to Janet's webpage and books, and join us next time for more quality conversations about quality.